0: Our reading today is from John 13, starting at verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you'll never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, just, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean. though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he'd finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash each other's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things... You'll be blessed if you do them.
1: Hello everyone, good morning. Good morning, very warm and special welcome to everyone joining us at home. Hello, I am excited to be speaking to you all today. And, but before we get started, shall we pray? Let us pray. Father God, I thank you that we can gather together and worship you here and enjoy your presence. I thank you, Lord, that the word says that the unfolding of your word brings light. So as we get into your word today, I pray that you reveal yourself. You reveal your heart. Holy Spirit, you're welcome. Do your thing. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been on a Jesus series this term, focusing on the book of John. And in this chapter, we read about Jesus washing his disciples' feet. But before we get into it, I just want to share a fun little fact about myself, which is I really, really like carrots. I really do. I think they are pretty awesome. I mean, you can eat them everywhere. You can eat them raw, you can boil them, you can cook them, you can roast them, however you want. I really like carrots. And I have been known in stressful times to wake up in the middle of the night and crunch Away my sorrows, much to my husband's dismay. Apparently, men don't like it when their wives crunch on things, but yeah, I really, really, really like carrots. And there was this one time we were going on holiday and we had to get a small seaplane to go to this island in the middle of nowhere. And we actually had to pay for excess luggage because I had a, a kilo of carrots in my suitcase. I mean, I wasn't going to take any chances. We don't know. It's, it's an island in the middle of nowhere. We don't know if they're going to have good quality carrots. Now, on the other end of the spectrum of my love for carrots is my complete dislike for feet. <laughs> um, men's feet, much worse. So you can imagine my feeling when I found out I'll be speaking on Jesus washing his disciples feet. I told my husband, Matt, that this is where I was gonna be preaching for him. He's like, so what are you gonna share? What's your deep revelation? What's your rhema? And I'm like, actually, my initial thoughts are yuck. Gross. I think what happened that day was completely disgusting. And, and I think it's so easy for us to romanticize it. We can, we can just read these Bible stories and think, you know what? It's cute. It was a symbol of humility and the love of God. But no. No, no, no. You see, in those days, they wore open sandals, which was made of um, grass and unprocessed leather, which is, like, not cool. And they also had open sewers. And the combination of open sandals and open sewers was just wrong in every way. And they were having dinner. I like to put myself in the room. Like I said, we romanticize the story, so I like to put myself in the room and just like, smell everything happening. So I imagine Jesus sat around the table. So 12 men in a room and the smell of fresh bread, you know, getting get involved, fresh bread, wine, some lamb, and some of that expensive nard from the hair of Jesus filled the air and, you know, a little bit of feet. And <laughs> while they were all there, you know, discussing, they were like little hubbubs of conversation. In one corner, they were just arguing about who is the greatest and in the other, side of the room, some people were talking about someone's mom lobbying Jesus for her sons to be on the right and the left. You know, this sort of conversation. And while everything was happening, Jesus stands up and everyone looks towards him and he takes his outer robe off. Now, Jesus was good, he was kind, but one thing he wasn't was predictable. You see, they were beginning to get a glimpse of him being the Messiah and him being the son of God, but Life around Jesus was pretty wild and unpredictable. There was this one time, they're walking along the street and there was a blind man. Jesus spat into mud, mixed it together, and put it in the man's eyes, told him to go wash, and he got healed. Another time, they were in a room with Jesus, preaching, someone tore the roof off, put in a paralyzed man. Jesus healed the man, said nothing about the roof. So things around Jesus were just a bit, you know, wild. So when he, he gets up in the middle of this important dinner, takes his robe off, wraps a towel around his waist, he gets on his knees and starts washing their feet one by one. This was a big deal. You see, Jesus was their rabbi and he was their master, but he was also significantly older than them As a well-brought-up, home-trained Nigerian girl, you respect your elders, not the same, like you wash your elders, you take care of your elders, not the the other way around. But Jesus was doing this for his disciples that were significantly younger than them. Some theologians have said that the youngest disciple was around 15, and the oldest, maybe Peter, maybe in his early 20s. And... This was the week where Jesus had just had this beautiful triumphant entry into Jerusalem. Like people were finally recognizing him, singing Hosanna, palm leaves, their clothes on the floor. The disciples left everything to follow him and they finally thought our time to shine is arriving. Finally we'll get the recognition, finally Jesus will be exalted and we'll start his earthly rule and then he does this. Well, this takes me to my first point, which is the bold and beautiful humility of Jesus. Whilst Jesus' action that evening might have come as a shock to his disciples, it wasn't a spontaneous reaction to the stench of their feet. You see, he was humble from the beginning. The moment Jesus decided to become a man and to be born in a stinky manger, again, another cute story that we tend to over-romanticize, and decide to go through the painful journey of becoming human, he was humble. He stripped himself of the glory of heaven and became a man. He was already humble, and he had nothing to prove. Now, I know that Jesus was trying to teach them a story in humility, but it bothered me. It really bothered me. I was like, why did you have to do it? Why did you have to... Act this out. In the past, he taught his disciples so many lessons on parables. At this point, a parable would have sufficed. Why did he do it? Why did he have to act this out? And then on my walk with God, I was just like, Why? Why'd you do it, Lord? Why'd you do it? And then I was reminded of John 4, where Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father do, and I only say what I see the Father say. And Two weeks ago in Mark's talk, he said about how Jesus was always in step with the Father. And then I realized that this act out scene was a reflection. It was a veiled reenactment of the salvation of man. God taking off the glory of heaven, wrapping himself in human flesh, getting on his knees to the level of the dirtiest and the stinkiest part of us to wash us. The humility of God is our salvation. On a physical level, he was also showing his disciples that, look, in my kingdom, things work differently here. You go low to be exalted and not the other way around. We live in a society that tends to reward you for climbing up the ladder. I mean, in social media, the algorithm promotes your post. If you brag about an achievement, if you hit a milestone, they they will promote you. But Jesus is saying, actually, my kingdom... To be exalted, you humble yourself. Another bold and beautiful example of the humility of Jesus was found in Second Samuel, where King David, you know, takes off the kingly robes and dances before the Lord in worship. This came as probably a shock to people around and his wife. And she didn't, you know, she didn't hold back. She expressed her embarrassment. I love the voice translation. She told him that he acted like the lowest of low she was embarrassed, and I loved his response. So one thing I like in the Bible is Bible comebacks, like clapbacks and retorts, and I think King David and King Jesus were like pros, and like replying their haters with the right things, and I love what David said. He said, the Lord, I'm dancing before the Lord that chose me rather than your father and all his descendants, and made me king. And he also said this, which is really powerful. He said, I will lower myself even further, Maybe I will shame myself in my own eyes. I thought this was really powerful. King David did not care about the applause of men or the approval of men. His heart was secure in God. He was anointed by God to be king and he understood his purpose. So even when his wife tried to shame him, he wasn't moved Jesus taking off his robe that day did not change who he was. He is still the king, and he was still the rabbi. Now, this takes me to the other part of the story where we see Peter's reaction. I think Peter generally gets a bad rap here. He's always the disciple that speaks up. But honestly, I find Peter the most relatable. Peter gives me Nigerian vibes. (laughs) Because... I don't know if there are any Nigerians in the room, if there are any, hello. But Nigerians are really blunt. We say exactly what we think. There is no filter, you know. So when I read this, I like to imagine Peter is Nigerian, you know, with a little bit of seasoning. And I think, when Jesus got on his knees and started washing everyone's feet, I think it was really awkward. It was tough. But all the disciples couldn't say anything. Bartholomew was probably like, Peter? Someone say something. So when he got to Peter's stone, again, I imagine Peter was like Nigerian. It's my way of like adding seasoning to some of these texts. And I don't think Peter was like Jesus. You shall never wash my feet. No, no, no. I don't think it was like that. I think it was more like Ah, Jesus, Rabbi. No, 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 no. You cannot wash my feet now. You know. I think. <laughs> I, I think it was it was something like that. And when, and when Peter's, when Jesus replied and said. Peter, if you don't let me wash your feet, you can't be a part of me. Peter probably thought, ooh, that's to be harsh, that escalated. And I, think his, and I think his response was not as emotionless as, you know, wash me. He was like, oh yeah, Jesus, Rabboni, wash me everywhere, bathe me, bathe me. And while Peter did not understand what was going on at that time, the, the, the gravity of what Jesus was doing, he will, he will understand that later. Now imagine if Stephen our Rector or our very own Reverend Simon Ponsonby decides, calls you and tells you he's coming to your house to clean your toilets, and he's coming to clean behind your fridge or your oven, What what would be your response, what would you say? You'd be like, no, thank you, I appreciate it, but you shall never come clean my house, because it's, it's beneath him, you, you respect him, and he's a great leader, and it was like that for Peter. He ha- had a reputation of trying to protect Jesus from himself, and he, as the leader of the disciples, this was a huge deal, with hierarchy, social order, and Jesus was probably breaking some sort of rabbinical protocol, but Jesus did not care. He loved him, he loved his disciples, and he wanted to wash them. Perhaps today it's not just your physical feet that needs washing, but your heart. Jesus is here to wash you with no judgment whatsoever, but love in his eyes and in his heart. Which takes me to my next point, that the humility of God, the humility of Jesus was motivated by love. Verse one writes that, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now, I don't know if you've read this book, Gary Chapman's Five Love Languages. He writes in this book that we love and we give and receive love in five different ways. Words of affirmation, acts of service, receiving gifts, quality time and physical touch, and these are called the love languages. Now, I like all the love languages, but my favorite to have around me, it's not my primary love language, but the one I love for people around me to have is acts of service, because these people have the incredible ability of Seeing a need, recognizing a need, and doing something about it in the most beautiful way. Some years ago, I was working in the catacombs in our prayer room down the road, helping run prayer events, and there was this woman that would come in to pray every now and then. And I saw her, and I thought, okay, maybe she's just, you know, parishioner praying and weeks later, she started coming in, but this time around, to clean the prayer room. I will tear with a mop and a bucket, and she would clean the toilets and clean, making sure the place looked good. And I thought she was part of the cleaning crew, so I would just, like, give her a polite nod. And this went on and went. And it wasn't until later I found out that she was actually not a cleaner. She was an ordained minister on a sabbatical, and she spent her time cleaning toilets. This had such a huge impact on me. And I realized that when it comes to humility and serving others and serving God, nothing is too small, nothing is too lowly, nothing is too demeaning. Jesus expressed his love for his disciples in his life and his time with them in multiple ways. But what he did during this meal was very, very remarkable. This act of service towards his disciples was a love letter. He loved them from the beginning, and he loved them till the end. But how do you express your love to people that just don't get it? He had very limited time with them. He told them time and time again of what was going to happen, but they just did not grasp the extent, the gravity of what was occurring. So he did something that was so gross, that was so disgusting, yet so beautiful that it was imprinted in their hearts forever. This single act of service also reframed foot washing. It's now known to represent love and humility. I know some people wash each other's feet during their weddings, no judgment. And I know know people wash each other's feet during services, again, no judgment. But here, Jesus calls his disciples in verse 15. He said, I've set you an example that you should do as I've done to you. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Here, he's calling his disciples to follow his example. He's not telling them that whenever they gather, they should literally wash each other's feet. Instead, he's telling them that they need to serve each other in love and humility. Peter might not have understood what happened then when he said, Jesus, you shall never wash my feet. But he later understood because in 1 Peter 5, 5, towards the end of his life, he writes, clothe yourself in humility and serve one another. He finally got the message. Now, ultimately, this type of humility Jesus exemplified is first a heart postured in love. It's not about the acts you do. It's not about pretending to do something or just fear. It's first love in your heart that provokes an action to serve people around you. So my question for you today is, when was the last time love provoked you to serve? Perhaps God is calling you to join a team. Perhaps God is leading you to take off your laurels, your achievements, your prestige, and serve in a place that you probably see as beneath you. Perhaps you're already serving but not from a place of love because, to be honest, human beings are quite tricky and they could be annoying, you know, blunt. But God is calling you to serve from a place of love. This week I saw a scripture that really, really challenged me. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3.13 that our works will be tested by fire. That really shook me. I'm like, oof. I really need to examine myself because only works, only our acts of service, only the things we do that are rooted in love will survive the refinest fire. That was really, that was very challenging for me. And I really had to go back and think about my life. But I pray for God to give us the grace to be rooted in His love and serve each other. Now, in closing, I believe this call to serve each other in love and humility is for all of us. But first, we have to be rooted in the love of God. You see, I love that Jesus washed their feet first before telling them to serve each other. And I believe that we need to receive the love of God first and allow him access to the dirtiest, darkest messiest part of our life, because his love empowers, his love secures, his love cleanses us, and his love heals. Some years ago, I got a phone call from my sister after midnight, which is never a good sign. She asked if I was sitting down, and then she went on to tell me that my dad passed away three days ago. I Got a missed call from him three days prior, um, and I thought, you know what, I'll call him back. But then life happens, you get busy, and I forgot. When I heard this news, it hit me like a ton of bricks. I, I fell to the ground weeping, and it was in the middle of the night. I did not know who to call or where to go. But I remember that there was a 24-7 prayer happening in the prayer room, so I called a taxi and went to the prayer room. When I got there, there was an old woman praying alone in the middle of the night, not sure why, and when she saw me like staggering like into the place, she hugged me and hugged me and held me, and then she prayed and prayed and prayed over me. When she was done, I just felt the love of God fill me just from the crown of my head. I just felt the love pouring into me. And wrap around me and every sense of grief, of loss, of sorrow miraculously left me. Till this day, I've not grieved the loss of my father, which is strange because we're really close. I've not felt any sense of loss and I've not sorrowed. And because I was strengthened by the love of God, I was able to go back home for the funeral and serve my family and encouraged them. And ultimately, I went back to the prayer room to serve for a few years after university. Now, perhaps like me, you got some difficult news this week, or you are mourning the loss of a loved one, or you see the news and everything happening in the world, and your heart just beats a little bit faster. Anxiety is creeping in, fear is creeping in but there is something about the love of God that secures you. I like the scripture, 1 John four eighteen. It said, there is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear. Again, there is something about the love of God that strengthens you in the middle of turbulent times. Now, throughout this series we've been on, there's been this thread of love that has been weaving through Simon weeks ago spoke about Jesus turning water into wine. He said, you do whatever he tells you to do because he loves you. Emily shared about Jesus encountering the woman at the well and he spoke to her without prejudice, without judgment, and this empowered her to step into her purpose and she went spreading the good news of Christ. Mark spoke about Jesus walking with Lazarus' sisters after they lost your brother and he wept with them and ended up performing an incredible miracle in their lives. I have a question for you today. Do you know the love of God? Like really, do you know, the, sorry, do you know the love of God? Like I shared earlier on, I felt the love of God in some ways, but in some other areas of my life, I have doubts. I, I feel like God has abandoned me and neglected me, but I know that he still loves me because my feelings do not change the fact. And how do you know? I love in John 15, 13, he says, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend, and Jesus did exactly that. There is no area of your life that is too dark, that is too messy, or too painful that the love of God can reach. And he wants to bring healing. And I believe he wants to wash your feet today. Before I came out here to pray, I went up to the, to the room there and they were praying for me. And someone gave me a word. That was so beautiful. It was, I'm um, sorry, I didn't want to do this. But um, when I was born, my mom told me, my dad said this word over me. And someone upstairs, not knowing what I was going to share, gave that exact same word to me. And I just, I'm so grateful for the love of God. And I just want to say that whatever you're going through, God loves you and he sees you. And his love is able to strengthen you and walk with you through the deepest, darkest thing. Whatever you're going through, he wants to wash you because he loves you. This is the one message I have to, you know, outside of everything. The one message I have, I believe God has me speak to you today, is he loves you. The world is crazy. Things are shaky. It is turbulent. You might have come in with so many things in your mind, but God loves you, and his love is enough. Amen.